I love it when the air conditioner kicks on. I don't know about you all, but I know most of you guys will be very cold here soon, but I'm well insulated. So, well, let's pick up where we left off a couple weeks ago. As we've been in this series, In His Image, we've been looking at the idea of who we are and that what it means to be created in the image of God. We saw initially that man was created as God's representative. When it says image, it, it, it literally means to be the imager of God. He was created to represent God on the earth. He was to tend the garden, to keep it, and expand it. That was the original plan that God had for mankind. And with that, He gave Him the ability to choose whether to follow Him and follow His directive or to not choose. And of course, we know what happens. He gets it wrong. And we know the whole story of that. We're not going to go rehash all of that. And then we get later with the nation begins, begins to represent God in the nation of Israel. They were to be separated from all other nations. They were not supposed to marry foreign wives. They were never supposed to take on foreign gods. God, their, their nation was so unique that they didn't even have a king. God was their king. They had a theocracy. And so God was in charge until they finally demanded they wanted a king. Even though it was prophesied it would eventually happen. They wanted one. They picked one. God gave them one. I'll give you the desires of your heart. Sometimes that's not even good for you. But he gave them a king. But they were supposed to be a representative of the earth of what it meant to follow God. There were miracles that took place to separate them, to get them out of Egypt. All those things that struck fear in the hearts of all of those that heard of it. And yet they failed to truly represent God. So Adam fails initially. Israel fails next. We've been getting it wrong from the very beginning, but there was a man who came that did not get it wrong. And Jesus, Jesus said that he was the express image of the Father. I only do what I see him do. I only say what I hear him say. He was a representative of God. We can look at the life of Christ and say, okay, this is who God is. This is what God wants through the works and the words of Jesus himself. And as a result of that, of what Jesus has done, now we have been set free, delivered. We're no longer walking on this earth on our own merit. We're now walking on Jesus' merit and what He has done. And with that comes an endowment of power from on high. We see it in Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit comes upon them to do what? To be His representative on the earth. This is where the church is missing it. Because what we've heard our entire lives is that that's not very Christ-like. What do we say that means? It means that they're not acting very morally. They're not meeting the standard that I have laid out. But could we say today with absolute conviction, say that the church today is not acting very Christ-like? Absolutely. Why can we say that? Because we're not making disciples. We're not healing the sick. We're not casting out demons. That was Christ-like. To do anything opposite of that is to be not Christ-like. We don't like to hear it like that because we want to just keep it simple. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All the authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So before he goes... He says that all authority, now when you look at the word all, it literally means all of it. There is no authority that actually surpasses Jesus because all of it has been given to him. And as a result of that, you, my disciples, go and make more disciples. And you and I are the net result of those people's obedience. Isn't that incredible? If you could trace your spiritual lineage back to Peter or Paul or John, some did that. I'm of 
Apollos. I'm a, yeah, anyway. But think about that. What if the early church acted like the modern church? They show up on Sundays. They put in their 90 minutes. We sang some songs. Paul was a little off key. Not Paul Zimmerman. Or is he? Yeah, everybody's looking for Paul. Just stare at him when he walks back in. But I mean, what if they acted like us? What if they were more concerned with just trying to meet some physical need than trying to meet some spiritual need? What if they walked around portraying power, but actually had none? What if they just talked a big game? And as soon as things got tough, they just kind of cowered into the corner. What if they acted like us back then? We wouldn't be here. Isn't that interesting to think about? What does that say for the generation that follows us? Because everybody thinks Jesus is coming soon. And he is. Sooner today than it was yesterday. But there haven't been a generation that passed since Christ left that did not think that they were the ones. So what if they all just sat around waiting like, well, Jesus is coming back. I don't need to go do that. I should light a fervency and he's like, man, Jesus is coming back. I need to go do that. But it's the exact opposite. You see, he told him to go make disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple is somebody who is associated with a particular teacher or teaching. They're known for this association because of their speech or their actions. They reflect the values of that teacher. Do, does the modern church reflect the values of Jesus? No, why not? Do we preach his words? Yeah, we do actually, for the most part. Do we do his works? No, we don't, for the most part. We're quick to help somebody in need, and that's good. But we're not quick to walk out there and do what's necessary. We're quick to write a check. It's good. But I don't want to talk to my neighbor. It's not good. You see, we no longer reflect the values of the teacher. Look at John chapter 14, verse 12. It says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do, and greater works than these, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So what does anything mean? Right. What if we turn this into, Lord, I want a boat. Give me a boat. Lord, I want a bigger house. Give me a bigger house. Like, yeah, he'll give you the desires of your heart, and there's nothing wrong with owning any of that kind of stuff. But our focus is there. It's internally. It's not externally. See, the Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. Are we doing the works of Jesus? No, because when we come together, what are we looking for? Serve me. We've created a church hierarchy inside of the spiritual gifts that if this person could prophesy, oh my goodness, look at that anointing. Isn't that incredible? Is that any different than anything else? No. You see these evangelists that are on TV, and they got a worldwide following. Does that make them more important to the body of Christ than anyone else? No. But we, we are just handing over our responsibility to the system, to the metric. We've got this hierarchy of, well, that's the pastor's job. That's the evangelist's job. That's the missionary's job. What if it's our job? What if we took accountability to do what he said to do? In Acts chapter 2, verse 22, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. This is Peter. It's right after the Holy Spirit falls upon them all. They all, these people, gather around on the day of Pentecost. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves already know. That means there wasn't anybody there that did not know what Jesus had done. Nobody was surprised by that. He said that Jesus was attested by God to the individuals through miracles, wonders, and signs. 
So we follow Jesus' example, right? We see what drew attention to Jesus. It was the miracles, the wonders, and signs. What drew attention to the disciples of Jesus? Miracles, wonders, and signs. When did that change? It didn't. The mandate never changed. The responsibility never changed. The heart changed. See, we're not on mission for God. We're just existing for Him. As I read these a couple of weeks ago, it's, there was a statistic done a few, uh, few years ago. It says 95% of all Christians have never won a single soul to Christ. Isn't that incredible? 95%. Maybe it's just a bad survey. Maybe they called the wrong group, right? But think about it in your own life. Like, I've been serving the Lord since I was a little kid. Off and on. Had some rough spots in there. Ultimately, came through. But as an individual, not as a pastor, but as an individual, when I sit back and think of how many people have I led to Christ, intentionally gone out on mission for God I'm not happy with that number y'all I've been doing this a long time I'm not happy with that number I have just like everybody else get caught up in the minutia of day to day and what's going on and I get this phone call and I got to go deal with this issue and, and then this person comes and sees me we got to go deal with that issue and it's like man what if I'm not truly representing Christ the way that I thought I was it says 80% of all Christians do not consistently witness for Christ. Would anybody argue with any of these statistics? Think about what you know. Would anybody argue with them? No, it's hard to. It says less than 2% are involved in the ministry of evangelism. And 71% do not give towards financing the Great Commission in any way. Like, that's a problem. That's a problem. Because really, and I hate to say it like this, but you follow someone's checkbook, you'll follow their heart pretty quick where they are. Now, I'm not saying you've got to give every dime as you have and all of that kind of stuff, or you can't have nice. I'm not that guy. I'm never going to say that. I'm not saying you have to give a dime. It's yours, but you fall somebody's heart pretty quick when you see what they do when no one's looking. When you open up their checkbook and you see where your priorities lie. Like, we got a, 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 a current crop of people living today that can't live without Netflix. Y'all remember when TV was free? It was over the antenna? And if the president was on, your night was ruined as a kid? Right? And you were the remote control. Remember that? Three, six, and seven. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I don't know why I had to flip so many channels. Because it's like, we already looked at three. We already looked at six and seven. He's like, we'll go turn it back to three. It's hard to argue when you're six. Black and white. There you go. That's right. You remember what it was like? You rode in home on your dinosaur and went home. No? No? Okay. All right. But I mean, the thing is, guys is that we have accepted this idea that our faith is this personal story and that we just kind of internalize it. When we come to church, it's about us. We don't come to serve, we come to be served. We're not looking for people who might be hurting, that might need something intentionally that we can go out and fulfill that need. And maybe you are, and if you are, God bless you, and you need to be teaching the rest of us. Because every moment of every day, whether we're here or we're out there, it doesn't matter. There's an opportunity that we are missing. You never know where it's going to be, but they are there. But we get so caught up in our day-to-day -day lives. And I've told this story, but I'm going to tell it again. It's several years ago, because I get busy. 
And I get a lot of things going, and I, I like to, I, I use this analogy, I juggle a lot of balls. I like it. I like to stay busy. I like things going on. I don't sit still very well. It's the squirrels and knives and all that kind of stuff, the whole thing. But I had been teaching uh, uh, to some college students in the church I was at before. And we've been teaching on evangelism and sharing your faith. And there's two parts to this. And the first one, I had this young man who was working for me. And uh, he was just helping me out. And he was just around all the time. And this young man loved the Lord, not the sharpest tool in the shed, just so you know. But he loved the Lord. And he was one of those guys that we go out there and we do some work. We're putting sprinkler systems or whatever. I constantly had to tell him, like, okay, we need to do this next. We need to do this next. He just wasn't the sharpest guy, but great dude. And we got done. And uh, we uh, went to Applebee's because that was the finest dining in Hastings, Nebraska that you could find. We went to Applebee's to go eat lunch. It was a late lunch. And we walked in. And... Um, the lady's like, you know, how many in your party? I said, oh, there's just two of us. She's like, well, do you want a table? Or you want to sit at the bar? I have no desire to sit at a bar. I was like, uh, a table would be better. She's like, well, you get free chips and salsa if you sit at the bar. I'm like, we'll sit at the bar. So we sit down, and uh, he and I are just talking and talking about what we're going to do tomorrow and all this other kind of stuff. We had a service coming up we're getting ready for. And the lady came up, and I can't remember her name now. It was so long ago, but she comes up, and she started talking. But she had this necklace on, and this necklace got my attention. And um, I, I finally asked her, I said, what, that necklace, I was like, what is that? Is that like a family heirloom? Like, what, what is it? She's like, oh, no, this is, uh, my brother gave this to me. Um, he's, he's Mormon, and he got this on his mission. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And, uh, and we just started talking about that. I said, so what do you think about your brother's faith? He's like, well, he really seems to love God. I'm like, Does that, is that important? Does that matter to you? She's like, well, I mean, I think God's out there somewhere. I just don't know that we'll ever find him. And so we just started this dialogue. And let me tell you something. Applebee's lost money on the chip and salsa that day because we were there for two and a half hours. And, uh, but we just kept talking and talking and talking. And um, I said, what if you could know? Like, what if you could know? And so, anyway, she, she actually ended up coming to our church a few times, stayed and talked, and she moved away, so I've lost track of her now. But all that. But when we got all done, Michael gets back in the truck with me, and he's like, that was unbelievable. I said, what's that? I thought he was going to say how many chips and salsa I ate, but that's not what he was referencing. He's like, that was so easy. I said, yeah. I said, it's really not that hard. We make it hard. I said, you just got to be intentional. And, and, and so it was, it was powerful for him to see that. And, and I mean, so there's been people with me around doing that. And I'm not telling you any of this stuff to brag. I'm just telling you, like, this is what we've got to do. To do the works of Jesus, we've got to do the works of Jesus. He went to get a drink of water from a well and met a chick there that nobody would talk to. And she goes back and she says, this dude told me all the stuff I'd ever done wrong. For some of us, that'd be a pretty long list. We'd still be there talking. Right? But I mean, it's like, he's looking for water, but he sees an opportunity. The problem we have today, and I, and I used this term a couple of weeks ago, we have in the church and in the world today a pandemic of mediocrity. Where we will do just enough to get by. We do just enough in our jobs, just enough in our, our business. We do just enough to get by. We want more, but we don't have the drive to make something happen. And so I use that term because, frankly, the church is pretty mediocre. It's kind of pathetic, to be honest with you. Our evangelism is mediocre. Our discipleship is mediocre because we are waiting on the big C church structure to have an evangelism class, to have a discipleship class that people can come to. You know why? Because then I don't have to do it. 
They'll do it. You know, it's easy to invite somebody to church. It's hard to talk to somebody about Jesus. Why is that? If you get rejected on going to church, no big deal. But what if they ask me a question I don't know? What if something's going on? You see, Jesus never intended for his disciples to just kind of haphazardly walk around. When he went around, he looked and he said, listen, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. He didn't promise them heaven. Hey, I need you to go to Paul because he needs to know all he's about to suffer for me. Didn't bring up heaven. Heaven was never brought up. Heaven's a byproduct of following Jesus. When you give your life to Jesus, when you become a disciple of Jesus, you know what that means? You know, work for him. You may get your paycheck from your job, but you work for Jesus. Your life revolves around him. It changes everything. It changes the mindset. It, it changes it where we stop looking at just doing enough. And we're like, no, I will go over and above. Because what if at my job, my employer sees somebody who doesn't say, that's not my job. And they just do it. What if they see somebody who's not every three months demanding a raise or they're going somewhere else? What if they see somebody's like, no, I accepted these terms. I'm going to run with it and allow the Lord to lead them. Can you be taken advantage of if you do that? Absolutely. Will God bless you for it? Absolutely. You see, we take things into our own hands and we try to do them in our own power. And the reality is we're just mediocre. We can't handle it. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That means you shall be my witnesses. To me, it's not like you're witnessing to me. You shall be my witnesses all over the earth. Well, how can we do that when we're not even thinking about it? Well, here's part of the problem. And it's, and, and it's more than one. But what happens is something when a person matures spiritually. It's the same thing that happens when a child matures physically. As they grow up, they be, your expectations begin to change. As an infant, you don't have much for expectation. You just pray to God that child will sleep through the stinking night. That's it. That's about it. Be cute. Look good in pictures. Like, there's not a lot of expectation. And then as they get a little bit older, you begin to expect more from them. Like, if your 16-year-old comes and asks you to tie their shoes, there's a problem. Right? When your 6-year-old does it, no big deal. Isn't it amazing that a six-year-old can say something and it's so funny and so adorable, but the 12-year-old says it. This is real life here, folks. That ain't cute. Shut your mouth. Your mom about to shut it for you. Like, it's amazing the difference. Why? As you grow, more is expected from you. You would like to think, it, it, you know you've reached it, when as they get older, there's one cookie and two children. And you pray to God that the older one says, why don't you take that? I don't know if that's ever actually happened, but that's what we want. Right? Because that's a, that's a maturity. What happens is as a person matures spiritually, they move from being self-centered to other-centered. Their motivation becomes God-centered. Now what if we took that into every aspect of our life? In other words, I'm doing my work unto the Lord, therefore I'm not going to do just enough. I will do anything that's asked of me. In fact, I will look for things that need to be done, and I will just do them. There's a maturity that happens there. 
Because not everybody does that. If you've ever had employees, you will understand that. Not everybody does that. But some do. Those are the ones that you want to keep. Those are the ones that you want to expand and say, okay, what can we do for you? But in the church, we do not grow at the same rate. Because physically, your body will grow naturally. It's going to do it. The only exception to those rules are lack of nutrition or, or extenuating circumstances that may keep you down. But aside from that, as you age year to year, your body will mature naturally, like it or not. But spiritually, that's not true. Spiritually, you choose your growth trajectory. Because I know people that have spent their entire lives going to church. And if I were to label them anything, I would label them a baby Christian. Because they are me-centered. When you see God-centered people, they are always looking to give. And I'm not just talking money, folks. They're looking to help others. They will hear of a need and meet it. Sometimes that need is just someone to talk to, someone to pray for them. They're looking for those opportunities. They don't just stumble in them. They don't wait until they're called upon. They're the type of person that would walk down the hall and see a trash can full of trash, and they empty the trash, right? Not your teenagers, I know. Probably not your husbands either, I know. But, but this is what I'm talking about. They become more others-centered. When we come together, what are we to do? We're to be looking, it's like, how can I serve the people around me? Because I want them to grow in the Lord. I'll never forget this story. This is from years ago. But there was like an 86-year-old woman. I'm, I'm using that a little bit loosely. But she was an older gal at like a Hillsong concert. Okay? Those are things you don't often see. They don't overlap. And uh, a friend of mine was there for this. And they were playing. And this lady was worshiping God like nothing you've ever seen. Hands up, arms closed, just praying and just worshiping God. And when the concert was over, he said, Listen, ma'am, he's like, that was incredible. Like, I just don't see a lot of people your age that really like this music. She's like, oh, I hate this music. This music's awful. And he's like, uh, well, sure didn't look at it like it. He's like, I can worship Jesus and anything, but look at all those people down there. It was about them. It wasn't about her. You see, that's maturity. That's part of our problem. So we have a lack of maturity in the body of Christ. Another one in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. But we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So when Paul says to put on the armor, what is he implying? You need it. You see, there's a spiritual battle that's going on that oftentimes is ignored. We don't look at it, we don't, we don't think of it, we'll hear stories about other people. We're like, okay, that's kind of fine. We're, we're very quick on Facebook when someone's going through something to say prayers, but on there, type it out, but we don't actually stop to pray. You realize typing the word prayers is not a prayer? I hope you know that. Like, this is where we are. We, we've got to recognize that there's a spiritual battle that is going on. Paul would not say take up the armor. When you're born again, it is not put on you. You are to take it up. Why do you need it? So you can stand against all of these things that are coming against you. These principalities, powers, rules of the darkness, all of this. That implies that it's going to happen. So that means whether you're armored up or you're not armored up, that battle is going on. Whether you're prepared or you're ill-prepared, doesn't matter. It's going to happen. Where do you think the church is today? We're not even aware it's taking place. 
Most of the world is ignoring the spiritual side. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But what do we wrestle against? Flesh and blood. Right? We're quick to argue. This is what Paul's saying. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It says, Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you in the uniqueness of gentleness of Christ, who is in presence and lowly among you, but being absent and bold towards you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Our weapons, uh, uh, the weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So is there a battle that's going on? Yeah, is Paul warning everybody? Yeah, absolutely. Like, don't look at us as if we war according to the flesh. Our weapons are spiritual. Where is the source of the problem? It's spiritual. We are in a world that we are not a part of. We need our eyes open to see the spiritual world. What if we just started thinking like God, thinking like the Word says? We're no longer just carnal. Focus on this. How can I feed this, buy things for this, touch this, feel this, all of that other stuff? What if it's like, no, 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 no. There's a spiritual, there are people hurting and dying and and literally, and there's a spiritual battle going on for their soul and I'm just concerned of who's on Love Island next week. I've never seen that show. I just saw it advertised the other day. It was in my head. But the question is, is that when you become a born-again believer, when does the battle end? And when do we get to stop and to rest? But that's what we've done. We have pretended that the battle is no longer going on and now we just like, oh, we take the rest of our lives off till Jesus comes. When he gets here, it's all going away. No more tears, no more sorrow, all that stuff. It's going to be awesome. Then why did Paul tell you to put on the armor? Why did Paul tell you we don't wrestle like they wrestle? Because there's a spiritual battle. See, it seems that so much of the church hasn't even realized that there's a battle going on. There's a story about that. When, when Babylon fell... It doesn't say it directly in Scripture, but when you tie in the historical writings to what took place, they captured the city without battle. They were drinking and partying. It's the writing on the wall aspect. And they made it to dam up the river and got up underneath and all of that. They came in. They took over the city and nobody knew what was happening until it was too late. And guess what, church? That's where we are today. There's a battle that's going on and we're not even aware of it until... It gets real bad. Until something drastic happens. We are reactive. We are not proactive. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 1, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says, that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So in latter times, which we are, and they were too. Some will depart from the faith. Why? Because they heed deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Does that sound like a spiritual battle? Is there perhaps a helmet of salvation that one could put on? Yeah, if we would have read the rest of Ephesians 6, we would have read about it. You see, what happens is, is there's attacks constantly. Are we ready? There's a spiritual warfare component to our faith that we do not recognize. And the reason we do not recognize is because we do not have the maturity to look at things spiritually and not carnally. 
Do you realize that every promotion that is offered to you is not always the best thing for you? A new job offered to you that maybe has more money and more benefits may not be the best thing for you. I have seen it on more than one time where somebody's like, oh, I've been praying for God and this job opened up and man, it's more money and this is good. And within two years, they're no longer walking with the Lord because it took their time, it took their attention. They got greedy, the cares of this world, all of that. See, there's a maturity level that has to take place. We have to know what's happening. And today, there is an attack on marriage. It's obvious there's a spiritual attack. There's an attack on truth. And there's an attack on our young people like we haven't probably ever seen. We got young people in this church. And some of them have fallen victim to this. Some of the married folks have fallen victim to this. Some of the folks that don't know which way is up because they don't believe in an absolute truth have fallen victim to this. Why? Because we're not prepared. We don't read things through the lenses of Scripture. We read the Scripture through the lenses of the world. And we're like, no, this has got to be it. See, in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, I want you to see this. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, it says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, what did he just say? Now, I believe this is Paul writing this, but I'm going to say, Paul, you believe whatever you want. He said, you ought to be teachers. He's scolding them. By now, you ought to be teachers. Now, why did he say that? Because the amount of time spiritually that they should have grown, they should be teaching, but they're not. You're still on milk. Babes drink milk. Babies, that's it. Eventually, T-bones are introduced. But it says, those who by reason of use, having their senses exercised. Those are the mature ones. How does one mature? We get put in situations of which we have to recognize good versus evil. And I don't mean like angels and demons type stuff, although that can be part of it. Sometimes it's just decisions. You realize that more money is not always a blessing. Not always. You realize decisions we make sometimes have a long-lasting effect. But we're just quick, oh, it's got to be from God. It's good. Not always. You see, this isn't about how old a person is because it's very obvious that Paul expected them to progress beyond what they were. This is somebody who has taken the information and done something with it. You don't have to touch a hot stove a whole bunch of times before you realize, you know, this is hot and it hurts. I don't like to do that. It's not fun. But this is where the church is today. We have a lot of babes in Christ because we do not have people out making disciples. Do you realize leading somebody to the Lord is powerful? You know what you're supposed to do after that? Teach them all the things that I have commanded. Do we do that? Nope. If we lead somebody to the Lord, and obviously 95% of us aren't, we hand them a Bible, pat them on the behind, and say, good luck. And as we see in Hebrews 5, we, we see this idea as like we discount the maturity of somebody who's been doing this a long time. And we just go after what we want, thinking that we've got it all figured out. We do this both naturally, we do this spiritually. We discount what has come from before. See, this is exactly in Luke chapter 8, is talking about with the, the, the four soils. 
And as he explains it, look what he says. This is the parable. Verse 11. The seed is the word of God, and those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, but they have no root, who believe for a while and in times of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those, and when they have heard, they go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Bearing fruit is the goal. This is the good one. But the other two were people who decided that they were going to follow their own path and do things their own way. And what did they not do? Produce fruit. What were they called to do? Produce fruit. That is making a disciple. That is what we were to do. So there's components of this. There's a maturity component, certainly. There's a spiritual warfare component that we have not even begun to look at and we are going to look at even deeper. But we have to understand something. These words that were written for, for our benefit, they're not just there so you can put in your Bible reading time and get your 10 minutes or your three chapters or whatever it is. They are there for a reason and they are to prepare and to equip you for the spiritual battle that is going on. And you and I are at battle and we don't have on the armor and we don't even recognize it. We're sitting over there at the bar eating chips and salsa, not doing the work of the Lord. We're not recognizing it. You see, there is an attack that is going on. And it is happening all around us. And it happens so subtly that we don't even see. It's like the frog in the pot type thing. The heat continues to get turned up and we don't even recognize it. Did God really say? See, there's an attack going on. And so I want to do something here for a moment. Because the Holy Spirit's been, been dealing with me on a few things. And I, and I want to... He showed me a few things here recently. But I want to pray for you guys. I want to pray for you two. I want to pray for you four in the far back. If y'all will come up here, please. I know this is weird. But, and I would like anybody who wants to, just got just kind of, I don't know, spread out, whatever. It doesn't have to get crazy. But just stand there, whatever. Face me, do whatever. And anybody who wants to come up and gather around them, I want to pray for them. Because these guys are all mostly newly married. Y'all are the old group, right? The old fogies of the bunch. You're almost 30. Eight years on the 1st of August? Like Tuesday. Aren't you glad she reminded you? That's good. That's good. But y'all just got married. Y'all just got married. You guys got a solid year now, so you're experts in all of this. But here's what's happening, and this is why I want to pray for you guys, is because the Lord was showing me something specific about you four groups, okay? I'm counting you as units, okay? Y'all are in different places spiritually, but you also come from different backgrounds. And so there has been and will continue to be attacks to drive you apart and to wedge you away from God. And you get to choose what happens in all of this, okay? You get the choice to go with God or away from God, but the decisions you are making right now are going to impact you for the rest of your life, and I want you to be aware of that. So I'm going to pray for you guys as a unit, but then I'm going to pray for you guys individually. Like I said, anybody else that wants to pray for them, let's do that. Father, I just thank you for these people, for these young couples. Lord, I pray that they have a desire to serve you. Because, Lord, as they come together, there is no greater joy than a couple who serve the Lord, that their children may serve the Lord, 
and that their children's children may serve the Lord. And sometimes it's hard to think that far down the path, Lord, but I just pray that your hand is upon them as they begin to seek you. And so, with Derek and Kayla, I want you guys to listen. Because the Lord has been reaching for you for many years. And yes, it's a roller coaster. But don't live in your past. Don't live on what the enemy has done. But live on the victory that's promised. Because it's not about what you were. It's about who he says you are. And you have to continue to grow in him. So Lord, I just pray that your spirit be poured out upon them. That they unite deeper as a couple. That they grow together and serve you and walk with you. Lord, that they will be an example to all of their family. You will be the trendsetters. It doesn't matter who follows you. Let them see who you serve. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, you too can be a light. A light to your family of what this looks like. Because yes, there's been chaos all around you. There's been confusion all around you. There may still be. But you two coming together, united in the Lord can be that light of what this should look like. Make sure that you're gathered together in everything, not divided in anything. If you're wavering in any way, just stop and wait and seek the Lord. But you have an opportunity that you probably won't even recognize until it's well past. But you have an opportunity now, not just in the town that you live and the places that you work, but with your family. To let them see what's serving the Lord. Think about the nation of Israel. This is what it looks like to follow God. To do it His way. To live for Him. Not in an arrogant way, but in a way it's like, I'm just doing this and His blessings flow. So I'm going to pray for you guys. Father, I just thank you for them. I thank you for your blessings upon them and I pray that your Spirit is poured out on them. Lord, that they are united in heart and they are united in direction and that their desire is to serve you with all that they have, Lord. And I thank you, Father, for what you're doing. May they be a beacon of light to you and to the world around them and let people see exactly what it means to serve the Lord. May their children serve you and their children's children serve you all the days of their lives, Lord. And I thank you for your blessings upon them. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So, you too, This is where it gets interesting because you have an opportunity to change your family tree. Could be completely different. Seek first the kingdom of God. Then all these things will be added to you. It's very easy to chase and very easy to get caught up in the mundane and the monotonous of life and the busyness and everything that's going on. You have an opportunity to change your family tree. Your children will not have to grow up the way that you grew up, the way that you grew up. It can be different. But you get to choose. Choose wisely. God is trying to draw you in. Make no excuses for why you can't. There is nothing that you cannot do. But seek first the kingdom of God. Then all the other things will fall into place. Don't try to put them in place. Watch Him make them fall into place for your benefit. 
there is an opportunity to change your lineage, your family lineage forever. You do not have to be like what you once were. God has brought you this far. Don't turn your back on him now. I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you for your power. And I thank you, Lord, that you're pouring your spirit upon them. Lord, I just pray that you would come together, that these would come together, united in heart. Jared, make sure you lead. You take your wife by the hand and you lead her closer to God. Don't wait for her to walk, but you lead her. Make sure you follow. I know that's not easy. But if he's sensitive to the Holy Spirit, lead where he follows. Lord, I thank you for that. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. And I thank you for this young couple. Lord, that their marriage will be blessed, that their children will be blessed. For those around them that know them will be blessed because, Lord, let their lives point to you and your goodness and your provision, Lord. Let nothing stand in front of them, Lord. Give them discernment to know the good and the bad, to make wise decisions on what to do and when to do it, Lord. And I thank you for your blessings that will flow on them, that the world will see a couple united with you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You guys are special to me and have been for a very long time. And I love all these people, don't get me wrong. But there's a lot of voices. And voices distract. And voices will pull away. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. The Father wants to pour out His love on you, Brett. You've never experienced the love of a father. He wants to pour that on you. He wants you to experience that. He's put people in your life to help direct you, but you get to choose where you go from here, and you need to help him. You need to encourage him to greater things, not just existing, not just getting by, because what's in you is greater than you will ever even recognize. Your abilities, your skills are unmatched, and what you can do, you're a quiet tiger. You may be a man of few words, but you can be very bold and very loud. But your children will experience the true love of unconditional love of a father who will be there, who will smile on his children, who will love them unconditionally and be there every step of the way and to lead them. But you got to let God do that for you first. You got to let the bitterness go. You got to let the hurt go. You got to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. It's your choice. But all of these voices are distracting you, pulling you to different directions and giving you different things that you may want to do. But God's got something bigger for both of you. It's not just now in the moment. It's the greater good. It's the greater things. And together, united, serving God, oh my goodness. I cannot put into words what I've seen what may be, okay? I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to explain it. But your lives can be absolutely transformed. And your loved ones around you can absolutely be transformed. But get focused. And allow Him to heal those hurts. Allow Him to take away that pain. I want to pray for you. You have to let God take that away. Because He loves you. More than anything that you've experienced in this life, that love is unreal.
And he wants to take that away. But you have to let him. It doesn't matter what was said. It doesn't matter what was done. All that matters is who he says you are. Your family tree can be different. Your children can be raised different. With no pain, no brokenness, no animosity. Allow his love to pour out on you. Father, I just pray, pray that you bless them. And pour your spirit upon them. Lord, I pray that you just take away that bitterness. Show them, guide them, direct them. Help them to make the decisions they need to make to better follow you and serve you because where you are is where they need to be. Lord, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you, Jesus. You guys get to decide. I'm just telling you, what the Lord has shown me is showing me some possibilities of what happens if you make the decision to just follow Him. This isn't hard, but you get to make that choice. You guys are all at a crossroad, and the enemy's been coming after you all, whether you recognize it or not. He's trying to distract you. He's trying to pull you away. He's trying to just bring up the past and bring up the hurt and all of this other stuff. And like, well, this person wronged me, or that person wronged me, and this person wasn't here when I needed them, and all of that. Do not listen to that. What can be and what was are not the same, but you get to choose. Choose Him. I'm begging you. Choose Him. There's not a day that goes by in my life that I regret the choices that I've made to follow Him. And there's been pain all along the way because ultimately I've made some wrong choices here and there. But I'm telling you, you need to understand something. God loves you guys and He's singling you out. I'm praying for you guys because I want you to know that the Lord is going to, can do something through you if you will let Him. But there is nothing that you have to measure up to. It's God. You don't have to meet any standard put on you by the world. You don't have to have a level of success put on by the world. Serve God and watch what He does. Serve God and watch what He does. If Israel had gotten it right, the whole world would have seen His blessings poured out on them instead of His judgment. Serve God and watch what He does. Father, we thank You. I just thank you for these people. Lord, I thank you that I've gotten to be a small part of each of their lives. Lord, I thank you that we continue to grow together. Lord, I thank you that you're pouring your spirit out on them. Show them what you've shown me. Show them the truth. There's no division. There's no hurt. There's no bitterness. There's nothing that they will allow in. Lord, that they can follow you. That they will be world changers for you. We're so grateful. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Church, I appreciate you. God bless you all. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.